Hi, I'm Jennifer Love of the Living Wealthy Institute, and this is The Nature of Money Show. My mission as a money therapist is to empower leaders to end what I call emotional poverty and to grow their internal net worth right alongside growing their investments and businesses, ultimately to live wealthy. I'm excited to share these stories with you. And so subscribe right now to The Nature of Money wherever you find podcasts to get episodes as soon as they drop. Burnout. So many female founders have experienced this firsthand. In our last episode, we talked about addiction as one of the things that can fuel an unhealthy debt cycle. And today we're going to add another layer to this conversation by getting up close and personal with one of the most prevalent addictions contributing to debt, workaholism. I sat down and talked with Elizabeth Beads of the Women's Holistic Business Network. Through her own workaholic tendencies, she ended up alarmingly undernourished, which left her in a state of physical and emotional and spiritual burnout, plus over $100,000 in debt. You know, all of the leaders I work with are in some way coping by numbing out to avoid emotional pain. And work itself is often the greatest barrier between living wealthy and living with addiction. I know because I did it too. So what does it take to break free of the cycle? In this episode, we'll explore what it looks like to be a workaholic and the role that shame plays in the addiction burnout cycle. And we'll also talk about what it takes to become more self-aware and give ourselves self-acceptance, the self-acceptance that we deserve so we can optimize and move into a healthier relationship with work. You'll also hear from Dr. Reef Karim, who offers greater insights into the world of addiction. And we'll ask you if you're a workaholic. And we'll be here to help you notice and understand why you might be working to avoid facing emotional pain. So join me in this conversation to learn how you may be in your own cycle of workaholism and how becoming compassionate and self-aware can set you free. So come on with me and continue our conversation so you can experience a well-filled life that is both satisfying and joyful. This is what Living Wealthy is all about. Elizabeth, will you tell us your story? How did you end up with over $100,000 in debt? Where did that start? Growing up, probably like many people, I didn't have, well, let's just, our family wasn't wealthy. We'll, we'll call it that. Like there wasn't ever an abundance of money and my dad was always in between jobs and my mom was the breadwinner basically and had her own business and worked sometimes seven days a week. And that's what I saw you know, growing up was that if you want money, you've got to really, really work for it. And, you know, we never really struggled as kids, but I was always aware that there was a bit of a lack and that there wasn't an absolute abundance. And it wasn't until I discovered my parents fighting about money as a really little kid that I realized that there the, something was wrong that there was a problem around money i remember being probably around 4 or 5 years old like quite little i don't think i was in school yet and i had two older brothers and i remember 
us hearing our parents fighting in the kitchen about money and just feeling scared. Like I, I don't think I'd really heard them fight before that time. And I remember just looking into the eyes of my brothers, just feeling kind of scared and what do we do? And then my mom gave us $5, which at that time was a lot of money to go to the candy store and buy candy just to get us out of the house. And this was something that she'd never done before and probably never done since. Like we did get candy, but $5 to go buy candy, my mind was was blown. So at the same time that I was excited about this money for candy, I also knew that something was was really wrong and I was I was afraid. And that moment, I feel like that moment really set the course for my life in terms of this like slight, slight excitement for money and what it can do and also a little bit of fear. I ended up being, of course, an entrepreneur and always interested also in the health and wellness and healing fields. And that's just something that I've been interested in even as a as a child, I was interested in alternative health and healing and spiritual awareness and didn't grow up in a spiritual family by any means. And so I ended up running my own businesses and getting into the yoga and wellness and healing world. Also in publishing, publish a magazine, uh, p- produce large-scale transformational events, wellness festivals and conferences ran a yoga studio and wellness center and ended up being a yoga teacher and practitioner in health and wellness among many other things at the same time. And what happened as a result of all doing all those things at once was that I ended up having a lot on my plate. But I thought that's what success looked like. And I thought that's how we got money was just doing seven days a week nonstop, doing everything, never asking for help, and putting a lot of money out as well. I spent tens of thousands of dollars on trainings in healing and wellness and travel as well, like so much money constantly going out and out and out, so much energy going out, money and energy going out, doing all the things, and I ended up burning out really badly. I remember being on the couch one day, just crying nonstop for the (laughs) probably 10th day in a row and realizing that something really was wrong with me and that I had to change in that uh, I couldn't get a handle on my money or my emotions. I was not making any money, actually. I was The business was running, the Yoga Studio Wellness Center magazine. All of it was running, but there would be months when I wouldn't pay myself a penny. Some months I was scraping by on paying myself $500, and I just couldn't figure out how to make it work and ended up walking away from the yoga studio, that business, that seven days a week, and in debt. Not just in debt financially, but I felt like I was also in debt emotionally. Like I was just drained. I felt like I wanted a different life, but couldn't figure out the financial part of it. Couldn't figure out how to make it work. And I remember when I walked away from that, 
I uh, started traveling again with no money and doing trainings again and ended up, you know, on the road traveling and found myself in a cafe having to pay my credit card bills and adding up all the debt that I had, adding up all these credit card bills. And I realized that I was $30,000 in debt while I was traveling on the road. It was $30,000 in debt. And I was shocked. And not only was I $30,000 in debt, I didn't have any assets, like nothing. So I had zero, not even a a home or a vehicle, nothing, and $30,000 in debt. And I also added up, well, wait a minute, I'd made money over the years. Where did it all go? I wrote this list. (laughs) I wrote this list of where my money went. Yoga training, travel to India, spiritual training, travel to Thailand. And I just wrote all these where my money went. And I realized that I'd spent over $100,000 in training, travel, education. Like I've studied with some of the world's top spiritual teachers and yoga teachers, and I've done a lot of training. And I don't regret that. But at the same time, at that moment, when I was sitting there in debt, none of it seemed worth it. And it was also right then too that I realized like, wow, I, I got to figure this out. I'm not in my 20s anymore. I'm not just, I can't just keep bumping around. And I, I know that that was a moment that really shifted it for me that I realized I, I don't want to do it like this anymore. And I, I started to track my money. Like I promised myself I would just write down. As soon as I started tracking, it was really interesting. As soon as I wrote down those debts, I was like, Ugh. and then I started to pay them off. And it was the writing down and realizing of them, like seeing them and seeing where they all came from, like really taking a full stock of my life that that I knew that things were starting to shift because I was paying attention to it. Our beliefs, mindset, inner critic plays a critical role here, doesn't it? I love that you bring this up because that inner critic voice is the one that got me to the burnout and really got me in debt because of two things that the inner critic voice really was saying to me. One, you're not enough. You're not working enough. You're not doing enough. So I was pushing and pushing and being, and being just working more and doing more, constantly doing. And then the other one, the other side of that inner critic voice is if you have money or if you accept money, especially in the realm of health, wellness, healing, spirituality, consciousness, that you're bad. So I was stuck between a rock and a hard place, was that it was okay to spend money, (laughs) tens of thousands of dollars money on healing and consciousness, but it wasn't okay to receive it. And then when I was burnt out, the inner critic was right there saying, you're supposed to be you know, the queen of wellness in your community, publishing this yoga and wellness magazine and putting on wellness events. How could this happen to you? So I was really ashamed and I hid it. And then being in debt, same thing, that inner critic is like, this is, you're not okay. You've done something wrong. Hide it. And I'm guessing that the hiding of our financial struggles is probably what exacerbates them. 
especially for women. There's this, we're supposed to be doing everything. We're really hard on ourselves, especially women who are leaders, really hard on ourselves, and then we shame ourselves. It's so common. I see it all the time because now I actually train women who are holistic practitioners and leaders in their businesses. And one of the things that I see the most in all the women that I work with is this undervaluing, not charging enough, not not able to take the action steps to get the money. And I think underneath that is this feeling of shame about receiving money. And it's really common in the wellness field. And as I'm speaking about this, I'm wondering, is it just common in the wellness and spirituality world or is it common in women or is it common in people? I also brought in addiction expert, Dr. Reef Kareem. By day, he's a highly respected double board certified physician and he specializes in neuroscience and human behavior and addiction. He's been interviewed by all kinds of folks like Oprah and Larry King and Anderson Cooper. By night, he taps into his creative powers of improv and acting and stand-up comedy and storytelling. We heard from Dr. Reef Kareem in our last episode where he discussed how addiction works and how we can recover. And we continue that discussion here. Addiction impacts every aspect of your life. You know, I, I've published on this. I've researched on this. I've, I've worked in everything from big, huge celebrity rehab centers to homeless centers. And whether it's a politician, a celebrity, a rock star, somebody who's homeless, somebody who lives in a van in Venice, it <laughs> doesn't matter. They, their addiction is their addiction. Their brain is their brain. And the fallout from an addiction is, is very similar. It's, it's, there's, there's a biological rewiring that's happening. There's the psychological effects on how you see yourself, how, whether you develop a mental health problem from it. Do you develop depression or an anxiety disorder, or you feel, you know, like, uh, compromised in some way, or, uh, you, you are, are unable to manage your life you know, that, that, that plays into it. There's social implications. You, you might start having a lot more difficulties with your family members or your primary relationships or your extended family. You might have lied to them. You, I, I'm pretty sure you've lied to them. You've manipulated, uh, maybe you've stolen from them. They don't believe you. They can't trust you. Maybe you've had a, a lot of conflict uh, you might have done things you don't normally do. You might have said things you don't normally do. So there's a social component. And then the, the stagnation or the stuck feeling that you get when you're deep into a problem uh, always leads to a spiritual uh, compromise where some people use the term spiritually bankrupt. Some people use the term spiritually compromised where you, uh, you don't believe in your worth anymore. You don't believe in your ability anymore to do anything good with your life. And uh, you feel really stuck. Um, and, and that's a bad place to be when you don't, when you don't believe in, in yourself anymore. So, so that's a huge part. And, you know, when I look at addiction specifically, I, I look at the, there's the crisis element of it, there's the kind of stabilization end of it. And this is how I ran my treatment center on these three phases. So you're in your crisis phase, you're in your stabilization phase, and you're in your growth phase. And I worked hardcore in the crisis phase. I mean, I, I did everything I could to 
get people out of the pain they were in. It was very important to me to, to, you know, detox somebody or get them to not OD or get them to not be suicidal or to, to help them along the way in their crisis. And then I started spending a lot more time in the stabilization part. And, and that's where it's, um, you know, how, how do you, how do you now reintegrate back into the world? Uh, how do you, uh, how do you manage your symptoms? How do you, how do you existentially start, start working on that shift? Uh, I spent a lot of time there and, and I found that where I really love working with people is on the growth side. And it started off with people that had an addiction or mental health problem. And now it's become, you know, it's become primarily entrepreneurs really, but it's people that know that deep down inside, they can make a huge impact in the world and they can have huge influence in the world and they can really stand out in the world but something's getting in the way and um, that something could be, you know, not trusting themselves. Um, it, it could be a problem like a, a self-sabotage problem. It could be that they haven't figured out what makes them different, what makes them original. Um, it, it, there's so, there's so many things it could be. And I found that the work that I did in existential therapy and, and creative, creative performance work, uh, and and digging deep inside to shift your energy of how you have of how you see your life, uh, of how you live your life, uh, and how you see opportunity in your life is uh, is paramount to anybody trying to transform, and 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 that really got me going. And that's really where I am now. So it started from a state of addiction and mental health, and now it's moved into a state of optimization. How then do we build resilience or get in touch with emotional needs or reactivity? Put another way, what does it take for someone to see and then course correct an unhealthy emotional or mental pattern? It, it takes the big A word, which is awareness. And I came up with a concept called dual awareness, uh, and I can go into that later. But but it really takes an awareness of how your how you're experiencing the world and how you're leaving an imprint on the world, and unfortunately. Uh, that requires some brain power and that brain power gets tapped or, or, or diminished, uh, when you're under the influence. And so you can't really access that awareness when you're under the influence. Uh, and that, that lies the big problem. And that's why so many people, when you see them, uh, I don't want to say see the light, but when they, when they finally go into treatment and when they finally get some help, uh, it's because a family member brought them in or because their husband or wife brought them in or somebody who loves them brought them in. So sometimes you'll have somebody that reaches that level of awareness, but they're usually, their symptoms are usually mild to moderate. When somebody's moderate to severe symptoms, it's usually somebody else that brings them in. And the first key is awareness. It, it's how, 
how has this behavior or or this drug impacted your life uh, in in every way possible? You're you know if you look at your life now, you've basically traded in your relationship with your husband or your wife uh, for this drug. So that's that's affected. Your kids don't are scared of you and 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 they're afraid to be around you. That's been impacted. You're broke. You you have loans, you have debt, you have a lot of debt. You have way more debt than you ever expected. Uh how did that come about? Your your relationship with your own abilities and your own self and and what you think about who you are in the world and and that that originality that we all strive to to reach is gone and it's been replaced by this hollow shell of a person who's just trying to get by each and every day all of that stuff is part of your awareness and how how has it impacted you occupationally relationally functionally legally spiritually in every way um that needs to crash on you uh, in in an environment where you can handle it safely, uh, but that needs to happen before you can really start making changes. And for some people, that happens on the outside before they get into treatment, and it drives them into treatment. For a lot of people, it happens in treatment, and somebody else brought them in, or they're kind of in a little bit of denial, or they're they're downplaying it, and the crash happens when they're in treatment. But that needs to happen. To make this point of awareness concrete, let's go back to Elizabeth's story. Elizabeth, how did you shift these beliefs? You have it a moment of self-confrontation and self-examination. What did you discover about yourself that needed to shift? And how did that happen? Oh, it's such a good question. Because there were those, those two moments. One was the burnout and one was realizing I was in debt. Those piled onto each other. So I ended up doing a few things that made a huge difference and I... I watched the process happen. And one of those was making sure I was taking care of my own health so that I was coming from a place of wholeness, that I was applying all the tools that I'd learned over the years in healing and wellness to myself. Another one was, like I mentioned, starting to actually just track my debt, like write it all down. And then I made a promise to myself that I would do do that monthly. And that started me on a journey of every month I look at my money. And I think that, you know, we don't want to look at it. I I think that's really common. We don't want to look at it, especially if it's not in a good place. But the looking at it changed it. So tracking it. And at first, it was just writing it down in a little notebook. Here's all my debt. Here's what I have. And then I I got resourceful. So I started to sell things or work more or figure out creative ways to bring in more income. I started to spend less as well. So I was, I I realized that I was continuing to spend when I didn't have money. So I prioritized my spending and those things really helped. And then I also started to talk to a friend about it. So I had a friend who is also in business and we decided that we would meet every week On Mondays, we had Money Mondays, and we met, and we just talked about our money. And the intimacy and connection of talking to another woman about money and debt and shame and also excitement and wins, like eventually 
the wind started to happen. That space to speak about money, and it's what you do here, Jennifer, on this podcast. It's like you you open up this space for women to speak about it. That was massive because that started to shift my heart around money instead of it being a shameful thing that you send people away when you're talking about it or you just fight when you're talking about money. That I started to have intelligent conversations about money. I started to have vulnerable conversations about money. And that started to shift things a lot. And eventually, another thing that I did was I actually got business training. <laughs> you know, I'd done 20 years of education in spirituality and yoga and wellness, but I'd never taken business training. And that was another big shift for me, was taking training around money, like actual spending money on tr- money training, spending money on business training to guide me in the process of how do I actually run a business in a way that makes sense and is income producing because as a holistic wellness person I was always giving and like I mentioned shamed of receiving money shamed for receiving money in the community even so having that training and being alongside other women who are also committed to uplifting themselves and their communities and that starts with their own financial wealth that made a huge difference as well Can you describe what was shifting inside of you emotionally and how are you being? How are you feeling? Oh, this question is so beautiful. (laughs) Worthy. I was starting to feel like it, it was okay for me to make money. And not only that it was okay for me to make money, that, but that it was a good thing and it wouldn't lead me to fighting or stress or trauma. I always pushed money away internally because I thought, well, it it leads people to stress, so I just won't go there. But internally, I was starting to feel like, oh, money can actually be enjoyable and fun. Internally, I was feeling like money doesn't have to intimidate me anymore because I was always intimidated by it. I I failed math in school, in in high school, like three times. And I just thought because I wasn't good at math and I couldn't be good at money, and money was a male thing. But this, this little glow started to happen inside me that was like, wait a minute, I'm actually pretty smart when it comes to money. I can start adding numbers and seeing the bigger vision for the numbers and that I stopped feeling like I was a bad person if I made money and started feeling like it was actually a path to freedom and that I could actually be of more service to the world if I'm making money. So there was definitely an internal shift. And it's still like, (laughs) it's still on a daily basis. Elizabeth's story of shifting her internal narrative is powerful. It's definitely a human experience. And the way that I hold this is in the garden scenario. What seeds do we want to plant? And in what soil do we want to plant those seeds? Where do we want to spend our time and energy nurturing and nourishing the garden of our mind and the various aspects of ourself? And do we want to plant good seeds or bad seeds? And if we're planting good seeds, don't we want more of those good seeds to grow and flourish and create more fruit-bearing trees? You see, being wealthy is an internal experience 
that then expresses itself outward. So it's not really ever about the money itself. It's who you are with wealth and with money that matters. Yes, I've paid it off and journeyed with money and debt over the years. I've definitely paid that off. And not only that, I have actually now have money in the bank, money in investments. I have an emergency fund. Like ever since, especially since COVID, if we're talking about it this year at all, um, I realized that, oh, you know, I need to take this to the next level and not just be debt-free and have a little bit of money saved, but I need to have a as an emergency fund just sitting there in my bank account because being self-employed, we are our own backup. So I have that. And now I have extra money that I, (laughs) lately I've been like, oh, right, I have to spend money because I've gotten so good at saving it that I have to spend money on myself, like buy myself something or take myself to the spa. And then I get to give, like I get to choose charities to give to as well. And it's getting fun. I did this myself, that there wasn't something else that came externally. I don't have that in my story. There wasn't an external somebody who came and did this for me. There wasn't that. And there might be a lot of women listening to this who feel like they want to do it themselves, even if they do have a partner who supports them or a family who supports them. There's that deeper level of when you can do it for yourself, when you can make a decision to pay off your debt, to get out of debt, to have a different relationship with money, then you save yourself and that you're not waiting for somebody else to swoop in and do it for you, whether that be Prince Charming or the lottery or whatever it is that might be hesitating you or you know some the next business thing, but that you can do it. And as a woman, you have everything inside you that you need. You have the tenacity. You have that deep care that you can get yourself sorted and on top of your money. And it can make a huge difference to your life. It takes time. It's not an overnight process. It takes time and it takes commitment. It takes courage to stand out and to do things differently and that your friends, your family, your clients or your colleagues might think you're weird. But that if you do want to you lead a different life, be different, stand out, heal your money story and your relationship with money, what I have to say is that it is possible. You can do it. Because I know for sure if I went from making zero dollars and being in debt to now having a company that brings in, in the first first time I did a launch, I brought in $100,000 and now we're bringing in $250,000, $300,000 every time we do a launch. That's mind-blowing for me. Like I didn't come from, from that kind of wealth. But now that I can do that, I created it. And I know I can repeat it. And that my biggest thing for women when they're listening is, if I can do it, I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but if I can do it, you absolutely can too. 
and all it takes is time and support and staying inspired. Elizabeth's words are uplifting and inspiring. What does it take to stay inspired? Let's head back over to Dr. Reef Kareem for more perspective. So I've always been more of, I guess, an entrepreneur and a performer with a rebellious spirit. And I realized that the same energy that we use to deal with our limitations, what's been imprinted on us in the past, how we, how we see the world, how we've been conditioned to look at the world and look at ourselves, that takes energy. Because you're constantly, it takes energy to limit yourself. And uh, it, it takes energy to go, oh yeah, I can't do that because uh, I'm a minority, I'm a woman, I'm tall, I'm short, I'm this, I'm that. Uh, I was bullied, I was this, I was that. It takes energy to limit yourself. So, so that that takes out some of your energy. It takes energy to deal with the digital world that we're currently in. We're constantly inundated and flooded with, with all of the, these ads and people hitting our pain points and uh, companies studying neuroscience to try to, to get into our minds to, to buy the way they want us to buy, to vote the way they want us to vote, to act the way they want us to act, to think what they want us to think, to believe what they want us to believe. All of that is stimuli that's coming in. The, the fact that there's platforms for expression for people um, who have tons of opinions, most of them not even informed opinions. They're just opinions. And all of that is flooding into our minds. And most people aren't filtering what they're letting in. Sensationalistic news, you know, we just had an election. Sensationalistic news is 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 flooding into our minds. There's all sorts of things flooding into our minds. That takes up energy. We have things called decision fatigue and divided attention and digital distraction. And there's so many other effects on our mind um, because we're, we're tapped out. We, we don't have energy. Our minds are full. And what I discovered is that that same energy that we use to manage our life or to deal with our limitations, that same energy is also used for creativity to build our originality, to discover what makes us different, to build a better future. And when you don't have any of that energy to use in a positive way, because you're totally exhausting it with dealing with the current threats to our mind and ownership of our mind, and we're and dealing with all the limitations from the past, you have no growth. You have no ability to build a better future. You end up on stuck. You end up in stagnation. And then we wonder why so many people are in debt and so many people are having problems with money or having problems with mental health conditions or popping pills at an alarming rate or why the opioid epidemic happened or why so many people are checking out from their life. It's because they have no energy because they haven't been able to transform their internal energy. So I call this energy that can be good or can be bad, our madness. Our madness is the energy that powers our minds. And it can be good or it can be bad because madness is on a spectrum from chaos and craziness, which 
it's been stigmatized as that all the way to creativity and genius. And my entire life's work now and the work that I truly believe can help people so much more, so much more, and it's such so much more of a profound way than what I was doing before, which is diagnosis and medications. What I can do to help people shift that internal energetic transformation is so much more powerful. You know, like uh, when I, when I talk, when I've talked to people, I'll be like, you know, I could write you a prescription, but expanding your mind is way more effective. And that's what I would rather do. You know, that it's my motto and it's so much more powerful. And so I pretty much said, okay, that's it. I, I don't, I, I'm keeping my license. I'm keeping my board certifications. I'm keeping all of that. But I am making a ton of room in my mind right now to lead this new movement on mastering your madness, shifting your madness energy towards creativity and originality. Because underneath your madness, underneath that internal stuff on the surface, that, that limitation, that that chaos, that what's going on in the world, all of the external programming that is flying into your mind. Underneath all of that is the good stuff. And the good stuff is what makes you different. How do you stand out? Where is your creativity? How do you find your flow? That's all your good stuff. And most people don't ever get to their good stuff. And I implore everyone to to discover, to investigate, and to explore that part of you to, uh, to find out the best way that you can contribute. Powerful, Kareem. We remain in poverty, debt, and addiction, or we shift into a mode of creativity, fulfillment, purpose, and contribution. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I think that obviously we're talking about debt and i think debt is 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 a real serious issue money is and your relationship with money is an incredibly serious issue addiction is an incredibly serious issue and i don't want to downplay any of them they're incredibly important but what is underneath all of them what's underneath all of them is is your ability to feel worthy and to express and, and to know that you're an individual who's original, who's on this planet for a reason, and you're doing and should be doing something that maximizes your abilities and feels very aligned with who you are. And if you're not doing that, you're more likely to not feel great. You're more likely to spend money impulsively. You're more likely to develop mental health issues. You're more likely to, to potentially develop trauma or develop an addiction. All of this stuff that we talk about that I've dealt with for decades with addiction and mental health and, and personal development issues and toxic relationships and all that stuff, all, so much of that stuff comes from this very core of not, not really connecting with who you are. And so, you know, I just want to leave you with that, that I, I think that is the most important thing, bar none. You can take the same amount of energy that creates limitation and instead focus it on creation using your genius and the life force that wants to be expressed through you. What I'm seeing that generates so much of the work that I do with leaders is their stuckness in creativity, sometimes to the point where they've lost their voice or their sense of self. 
and it's painful to see such confident women barely able to speak up or afraid of being visible. It's as though their vulnerability and the courage that it takes is too great for them. So they become locked down and unable to express freely. And this ends up translating into their business as either posturing based on some idea of what they think they're supposed to be, or hiding out and becoming invisible, both of which impacts their revenue or really the lack thereof it. Work is not an addiction, but it can be. Elizabeth's example teaches us about the cost of external validation and how that can lead us into unhealthy work ethic, which eventually grows into workaholism. Keep going, and it looks like burnout. And for her, $100,000 in debt. And what we learned from Dr. Reef Kareem is that Elizabeth's same energy and drive for external validation can be refocused to fuel creativity and manifest our heart's actual desires. The energy is the same, only the focus is different. We can choose to give where we want to put our energy. And healing is always right there for us. Beautiful one, it is okay to work. Work isn't the problem. What is motivating our work can be. And as we close this week, remember, when you shift into a mode of creativity and fulfillment and contribution, you can experience a well-filled life that is both satisfying and joyful. This is what living wealthy is really all about. So join us in our next episode where we discuss various ways our inner critic can wreak havoc on our net worth. Thank you for listening to The Nature of Money, a show of the Living Wealthy Institute. I'm your host, Jennifer Love. Thank you for joining me. And thank you to both of my guests who courageously and openly shared their stories and their wisdom. You can find and check out Elizabeth Beads at Women's Holistic Business Network Facebook group and Dr. Reef Kareem at reefkareem.com, which is R-E-E-F-K-A-R-I-M.com and masterthemadness.com. If you'd like support with identifying how your harmful narratives are blocking you from feeling worthy, valuable, whole, and freeing yourself and in your relationship with money, please book a discovery session with us. You can book that by going to jenniferlove.com and filling out a short and easy discovery form that helps me and the team prepare so we can show up and explore how to best support you. And will you take just a moment right now and give this show a stellar rating on the channel you're tuning into and then share this episode with someone who could really benefit from its magic. I deeply appreciate you.